Welcome to the Faith Christian Church Podcast. You're listening to a message from one of our many gatherings that we have throughout the week. For more information on service times, ways that you can be a part of the work that God is doing in our communities, and so much more, you can visit our website at faithchristianwi.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. Hope you're excited to be in church this morning. Um, I love what Pastor Paul said this morning. There's nobody that doesn't want to be here, so uh, so glad that you're here. Um, I hope that whether you're here or you're online, you can sense the same sense of expectancy that I can feel in this place. I believe that God's going to do something special. And I was talking with Pastor Paul before the service that somehow in some way, God always seems to work in these services where there's uh, terrible weather because... I don't even know what it is, but somehow we always remember what God did in our lives on days like this. Amen? And so uh, we're, we're really excited about that. I do, however, have one pet peeve uh, with the weather. Not just that it's in April. I mean, we can kind of laugh that off. But I have a, a pet peeve more so with the weather channel than uh, with the weather itself. Because when they post on, when they post on uh, Facebook or social media or something, they have this really gentle term for what's going out on outside called a wintry mix. Now that sounds like some kind of Christmas flavor of Chex Mix. This is a spring, this is a spring death trap is what this is. So whatever you're watching today, we, we're, we're glad that you're safe. We're glad that you're here. We're glad that you joined us. Amen. Amen. I hope that you'll engage with the message this morning. We're so excited. So whether you're at home and you want to comment something that you like, whether you're here and you want to say amen, whatever you want to do, we're hope, we hope that you'll engage with me and with us as we enter into God's word this morning. And as Pastor Paul said, we're going to talk about uh, the book of Hebrews. We're continuing our series uh, on identity. And last week we talked about who Jesus is. And this week we're going to be talking about Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4. Uh, but before we get to that, we, we need to uh, back up for some background into what the writer is going to be talking about. And the background can be found in Numbers chapter 13, if you want to open there with me. Numbers chapter 13 is where we're going to start. And this kind of centers around one of uh, our favorite Bible characters. His name is Moses. Moses is a man in the Old Testament. He had a, had a long life of rebellion and ignoring God and then eventually got, got a hold of him and God changed his life and made him the leader of his people, the Israelites, in a time where they were kept captive, where they were kept in slavery uh, by the Egyptians. And so... Moses is the leader of God's people, and many of you know the story from Sunday school where, where Moses goes up to Pharaoh ten times and says, God is saying to you today, let my people go, and Pharaoh says, no, 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 ten times. The tenth time he finally says yes, then changes his mind. Moses uh, is in the midst of leading his people out of Israel when the Egyptian army is coming after them, uh, trying to get them back, trying to win them back. And they run into the Red Sea. Oh no, what are we going to do? And Moses splits the Red Sea. The, the sea is parted. Moses and all of the Israelites walk through on dry ground. Tons of people walk through. And then as they finish their walk through, the waters collide back together and swallow up the Egyptian army. And God provides this amazing, amazing miracle. Now the reason he led them out of that time of slavery is because he had a promise for them. He had this place called the promised land for them to get to. But before they got to that, they were then stuck in the wilderness. They were stuck in the wilderness and God promised that he would be with them even in the wilderness. So many, many 
of you know this part of the story where every single day for, for 40 years, God uh, from the sky provided bread, manna, for them to eat. And that was their, their meal. They could go and collect every single day without fail. They, were, they would go and collect this meal that God had provided for them. And also for their journey while they were moving forward, they were provided with a pillar of cloud and fire so that they could know where to go, that they could know where they're going. And in their time in the wilderness is where we land here in Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13 begins with Moses hearing a command from God saying, I want you to send 12 of our guys, 12 of your men, one from each of the tribes of Israel into this promised land. Now the promise, the problem, quote unquote, with the promised land is although it was promised, it was currently inhabited by enemies of Israel. So they knew that God had promised it to them. But they hadn't quite laid their claim to it yet. So while they're still here waiting in the wilderness, Moses is commanded to send 12 of his best men, one from each of the tribes of Israel, in to scout out this land. And they go in there for 40 days and 40 nights. And they come back with, with fruit of the land and a report. And here's what the report says in verse, or chapter 13, verse 27. It says, they gave Moses this account. In front of, before I read, this is in front of all of the people of Israel where they're waiting to hear what their promise holds for them. This is what they say. They gave, this, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey, just as it said. Here is its fruit, and they give it to Moses. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. Now, that's, that's a report from, from the group as a whole. As I said, there was 12 of them. In verse 30, Caleb chimes in. One of the men that went in there, he says, or this is what it says, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Caleb, Caleb has, has a positive view of what's going to happen here, as opposed to what... The, the group came back as a consensus. They came back, and it is good, they said. It is flowing with milk and honey, just as we had heard. Here is its fruit. It's lovely. It's wonderful. But the people there are, they're large. And Caleb is unhappy with the report and says, Hey, the, um, guys, this promised land is it's promised territory, first of all. So God is with us, so we should go up there, and we should take it. For we can certainly do it. Verse 31 and th through 33 he gets drowned out and he says, but the men who had gone up there with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. I want to pause right there for a second. A couple of verses ago, we had just heard how they were talking about how the promise was so filled with good things, flowing with milk and honey. Here is its delicious fruit. And once Caleb says, hey, we can do it, and they think, no, we can't do it. The people there are too large. Then they change their mind about the whole thing, and they decide to spread a bad report. I find that pretty interesting. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it, which isn't true. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim and the descendants of Anak that come from them. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. So when they hear, the people of Israel hear this report, they start freaking out. Maybe rightfully so. I don't really know because 10 of these 12 guys come back with this report like, oh my gosh. This is promise, it's great, but there's no way we can do that. We look like grasshoppers to ourselves and to them. We have no shot. And so everyone in Israel starts to freak out. And in verse, uh, or chapter 4, verse 6, one of the guys that also went with 
shuts everyone up in verse 6. He says this, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid. Yet everyone still is afraid. They don't take the warning. They go with the ten rather than with Joshua and Caleb who come back with a good report. And God responds to them in verse 11, and also I'm going to then skip to verse 26. Verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all of the signs I have performed among them? Skipping to verse 26, it says this, The Lord said to Moses and to Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness your bodies will fall. Every one of you 20 years old or more who has counted in the census and has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land that I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb and Joshua. Skipping down to verse 35, God says this, They will meet their end here in this wilderness. Here they will die. Will you pray with me as we get into the book of Hebrews in just a little bit? God, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for your presence here in this place. God, we're expecting you to do great things. God, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you that whenever we get in your presence, you can change us, and that's exactly what we came here for to lift your name high and to be changed, to look more and more like you. So God, I pray that today you would help us to look more like you. And not only that, but that you uh, would help us take possession of the things that you promised to us. And as we unfold what those things are, God, help our eyes to be open to see what your word is speaking to us through the book of Hebrews. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. How many of you guys like being in the wilderness. Can I see a show of hands? Uh, You like being in the wilderness. You like camping. You like hunting or fishing or anything like that. That's great. Um, For me, if you see me in the wilderness, I want you to rescue me because I I don't belong in the wilderness. I was either tricked, I'm lost, or I was coerced. So I am not going to go into the wilderness by my own choosing. I remember, I'm just, things are a little more leery in the wilderness. I'm not comfortable there. I remember one time I went uh, camping and not like tent camping, like outdoor camping with my brother TJ, uh, my brother-in-law TJ, and we like, it was raining that day or something. For some reason, we didn't decide to start our five-mile hike until like 10.30 p.m. I think it was raining, so then the ground is all wet, but we had already decided we were going to do this, and we had no other plans. Um, so we, we, we decided we we're going to go out there, and we climb, we, we walk, and our, our feet are soaked, and we're climbing, and we get to the top of this hill, and we decide this is where we're going to set up camp. So we hung up some hammocks in between some trees in the, in the dark just with, with headlamps, and um, we sleep that night. I slept like a baby because I'm not used to being out in the wilderness. I was, whatever, I slept so good. I wake up in the morning, I roll over, and I look uh, probably about 10 feet away from me, maybe a little bit more, is like this cliff. And I'm thinking like, you know, I'm not afraid of heights as long as it's like a bridge or something that's meant to protect me. I, in the wilderness, I get so much more uncomfortable and unreasonable. I'm thinking, a strong wind could have pushed me over this thing. Like, I don't belong out here. TJ, what are you doing with me? But I, I hate... I don't want to say I hate the wilderness, but like I said, if I'm caught in the wilderness, 
If you're busy, call 911 to get me out of there because I, I just, I don't belong. I have one goal and one goal only in the wilderness, and it's this. Don't die in the wilderness, okay? That's, that's my goal. I don't want to bag a deer. I don't want to catch fit. That's, don't die in the wilderness. And that's actually the title of my message today, Don't Die in the Wilderness. Will you look at your neighbor and say, don't die in the wilderness? And God agrees with me. And here's how I'm going to prove it. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3 is where we're going to go today. The Bible talks about this topic of the wilderness. And uh, like I said, I'm not a real fan, and God isn't either. So I'm just kidding. That doesn't mean he doesn't like to hunt or camp or fish or anything like that. I don't know. I'm going to make some of you mad, and you're probably turning off Facebook Live right now. But (laughs) stay with me. I promise I'm going to explain myself. So Hebrews chapter 3 is... Uh, if you've read it before, this is right in the middle of, of the part of the book where the writer writes to his people, uh, to his audience, talking about comparing Jesus to all of these different things like angels or characters, characters in the Bible that Jewish people, uh, the, the audience of this, or the, the, the people that would have been reading this letter would have been familiar with and really liked and respected. So he, in this time, compares uh, Jesus to Moses. And the first six verses say this. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence the hope in which we glory. So, in this thing, in this beginning to the chapter, Jesus begins to compare or or, or the writer begins to compare Jesus to Moses, rather. And he says, now Moses was a great guy, and we look to him for guidance, and we look to him for stories, and rightfully so. However, Moses is not the son of God. He was a great servant in God's house. He is faithful, and he is worthy of honor. However, Jesus, this one that you are considering giving up because of the people that are hurting you, mocking you, threatening to kill you, this Jesus is better and he is worth it, just as we talked about last week. So don't look to Moses because Jesus is greater than Moses. And if we hold on to Jesus and the promise and the hope to which he gives us, then we also are God's house, meaning that God lives inside of us. Then he goes on to explain himself a little bit more. Here it is in verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. Where your ancestors tested me and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never Enter my rest. That's not something I would want to hear from God. That's what he declared towards them. And so let's, let's look back to the story and what this writer would have been referring to. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the time of rebellion, during the time of testing in the wilderness. They knew God's promise. And they knew God's voice. They knew that God was leading him, 
this being the Israelites in the time of Moses, they knew what God was doing amongst them. Or at least they knew what he had promised them, or this land at least that was called the promised land. God had fought for them. They had seen God do so much. Just a few short years ago, they were, they were in Egyptian captivity. They were left in Egyptian slavery with next to no hope for the future. Generation after generation is caught in this until God does something amazing, does something incredible. And he lets these people go. Not only does he just let these people go where they get to sneak out, God provides this incredible miracle of plagues upon the Egyptian people, and then when they get caught up against the Red Sea, they see the walls of the sea pushed, pushed to the side so that they can walk through on dry ground, and they get to this place where they're now safe in the wilderness, headed towards the promised land, and God is saying, now go to the promised land, and that right there is where they stop. They stop in the wilderness. They've seen God do all these amazing things, miracle after miracle. Their very existence and survival depends on God's miracles. Their food was God's miracle. The way they were led towards where they were supposed to be going was God's miracle. Yet they hardened their heart against him because when, they sent, when God sent these people into the promised land, what did they come back with? At first it was a good report, but saying, I don't think we can do it. And all of Israel went along with those ten that said, we can't do it. And so they camped there in the wilderness, hardening their heart against God, although the promised land was called the promised land. That's an encouraging title. Wouldn't you agree? I, I, would, I would think that if it was promised, the promised land is promised. I don't think God could have made that any more clear, yet they came back with a bad report. And they changed from a good report to a bad report just because they were scared of what might happen to them if they tried to enter God's promise. So God says, don't do that. Don't harden your heart as your ancestors did in the wilderness. Even though they saw me do miracle after miracle, even though they heard my voice leading them, they were still filled with unbelief. A couple things I want to point out about this portion of scripture that we just read. First of all, unbelief is not having honest questions. Unbelief is refusing to believe that God can do whatever it is that you want to believe he can do. Unbelief isn't them. Joshua and Caleb noticed they came back and they didn't say, what are you talking about? Those guys aren't real. They're not even there. The, 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 the land is empty. Let's just go up and take it. No, they said, yes, they're right. There are people there. But God is with us and God has departed from them, so I think we can do it. That's what belief looks like. Unbelief is not, not questioning or asking God, how is this going to happen? Those are just natural human responses. Unbelief is a refusal to believe. Unbelief is saying, I'm going to stay right where I'm at because I don't even know if it's true what God has promised me. So they hardened their hearts, and that's the second thing I want to point out. When we harden our hearts to what God wants to do, that's when our lives go astray. That's when our lips start saying things that we don't mean. That's how the Israelites got themselves in trouble. Notice how the Israelites, I don't know if you've read the Old Testament, maybe you've read these stories, and they did a number of terrible things. They, they did a, said things about people. They, they did this, they did that. They, they, they were idolatrous. They put up a golden calf. Yet what God is upset at them about is how they hardened their hearts. To, they wouldn't believe, they refused to believe what, that God was going to take them into the promised land. That's what made God upset. That's what God made this oath that they'll never enter my rest. And I want to say today to you that the, what makes God upset is hardening our hearts. And the reason that is is because when our hearts get hardened, our lives go astray. 
That's what, that, that, that's what this verse says. Their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. What does it say about their hearts a few verses earlier? Don't harden them as they did. If what God says to you bounces right back off your heart, then it might be time that we ask God to soften our hearts to believe the promises that he's given us. Don't harden your hearts as the Israelites did. They went astray. So God declared, they will never enter my rest and they'll never see my promise. Now, it's not that God changed his mind about the promised land. In fact, a generation later, those people's kids are the ones that entered the promised land. It's not that God took away his promise. But what keeps, kept them and what keeps us out of the promise of God is not bad behavior necessarily, it's unbelief. Unbelief is what does that, a hardening of hearts, which leads to bad behavior, which leads to our mouths and our lives going astray. But a hardened heart is what keeps us out of God's promise. So what is God's promise? Verse four says, or chapter 4 says this, but before we get to that, here's how Hebrews chapter 3 end, ends. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Now, chapter 4 says this. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have the good news of God's, or we also have the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Why is the author rehearsing the story that he did in, in, in chapter 3 and then getting to what he says in chapter 4? I think it's because the Old Testament and the New Testament are so interconnected. It is so important for us to understand the, the, the connection between the two. God is brilliant at writing his story. And do you realize that? That everything that, that was in the Old Testament is a shadow of what's to come and what we now experience with Jesus. This is one of my favorite games in all of Christianity to play. It's called True and Better. Are you ready for this? The true and better, or not better necessarily, Egyptian captivity is more so a symbol, not just of what they went through, but of our sin that we ourselves had no power to break out of unless God does something great. Egyptian captivity was something that God's people, no matter how many million of them there were, there was no hope for them to break loose from. They had zero chance to get through that until God did something incredible. And so our true and better exodus, it wasn't just Moses leading a million people or whatever it was out of there. It wasn't just God opening up the Red Sea. The true and better exodus for us is that Jesus died and rose again to let us go free from our sin and captivity. The true and better rest is not just a promised land. It's not just property that we can lay claim to. The true and better rest is just what this said. The promise of his rest is relationship with Jesus, a relationship here on this earth until we go to our ultimate promise of rest, which is in heaven. But while we're here, we still get to have this covenant, beautiful relationship that can grow all the way while we get there. That is the true and better promise. The true and better promise is that we can have a personal relationship as a person with Jesus. It's not some distant God. He's not far away. He's not 
angry with you. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. And that's why we do what we do. This is the promise. And that's why he rehearses this story. There's a true and better. There's a couple other things. The pillar and cloud and of fire to lead them towards their promise. We have a true and better pillar. His name is Jesus. We get to walk hand in hand with him all the way until we get to heaven. All the way through the wilderness. We get to walk with Jesus all the way until we reach heaven. We get to walk with Jesus. How much better is that than a pillar of cloud and fire? Also, we also have a true and better manna. It's called our word of God. The the manna for them was just sustenance for them to survive. Every day they would go and collect it so that they could eat it and they could survive while they were on their way to the promise. Our word of God is what tells us everything we need to know about God. Of course there's more to God than what we can find in our book. But while we're walking with him, while we're heading towards God's promise, our word of God gives us everything we need to be sustained until we reach it. Amen? Amen? Our word of God, we have all these things that are true, that are better than the Old Testament. And so what the writer of Hebrews tells us today, what the follower of Jesus that now needs to know that we're receiving from this book of Hebrews is be careful not to be found fallen short of the promise of God. That's what verse 2 says. It says, therefore, since the promise of God still stands, let us therefore not be found falling short of God's promise. What is he saying? Don't fall short of this amazing, incredible relationship with God. Don't harden your hearts when God is talking to you. Don't be filled with unbelief. Don't go astray. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't die in the wilderness. That's what, that's what the writer is saying is like these older people, like the Israelites, they were found falling short. They're Generation did not get to experience the promise of God, not because God failed to do his part, but because they failed to do theirs, which was only belief. Only belief. I pray that we as a church would be people that would believe God for his promise. That we as individuals would believe God for his promise. What is God promising you as an individual? He has a promise of relationship with you. A beautiful relationship, not one out of duty, Not one where you have to come to church every Sunday because God did this for you, so now you owe him. That's not what this is about. God wants to know you as a person, wants you to know him as a person, not some distant figure sitting on a cloud with a big white beard. He wants to know the person and wants you to know his person. That's God's promise to you individually. What about your family? The book of Acts, there's a number of stories that say you and your entire household will be saved. What if we clung to that promise for our families and, and we wouldn't be filled with unbelief for that? And what about this church? How many times has Pastor Paul stood on this stage or the old building stage and told story after story about people telling him, you'll never do this. You'll never build a church in Moss and you'll never be able to put up that building. Look what we've got going on again. God can do it if with our faith we join with his. I don't want to be a church that has fallen short of the promise of God. Let's... Let's lay claim to what God has promised us. And what will keep us out is nothing except unbelief. Unbelief. There's two groups of people that I want to talk to today. Address. There's a number of different places we may be finding ourselves in this story. But the first one is maybe you are in that true and better Egyptian captivity. It doesn't feel better by any means. It's more real even than a captivity that we face on earth is an earthly slavery. It's the captivity of sin. Being ruled by our own desires, our old flesh, our own struggles, our own shortcomings. And you feel like, I'm stuck here. There's nothing I can do about it. And that's true, there's nothing you can do about it, but God has a true and better exodus for you out of that captivity. 
his death and resurrection on the cross. He paid for you. He made a way for you to escape that sin, to escape that way of living and get on a path towards his promise of heaven, on his path towards a relationship with him. Ultimate rest. The first step of not being found fallen short is accepting that Jesus paid everything and walking through the pathway he's made, through the Red Sea, through the Exodus. Maybe some of you are here today, maybe some of you are watching online and saying, that's me, I'm stuck here. I've tried every way out that I can think of, but I haven't just shaken free. God has made a way out. His name is Jesus. And in a moment, I'm gonna offer you an opportunity to pray. And, before, and then we have another one that I'm gonna do after that. But if you feel today like you're stuck in that captivity, today is your day to accept that Jesus has made a way for you to get out. With every eye closed and every head bowed, whether you're here or you're watching through your phone screen, iPad screen, it doesn't matter. We're believing today that there is people, there are people that are stuck in that captivity of sin and need a way out. Today is your day. And I don't, on the count of three, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand if you need to make a decision today to leave that captivity, to leave that life of sin behind. Whether you're at home or here, on the count of three, will you just raise your hand? It's not so we can see it. It's not so we can applaud ourselves or have more numbers or do anything with a tally. It's so that you can make a real decision for Jesus Christ. And then we'll, I'll lead you all in a prayer. That won't be magical, but it will be a way to start this relationship with Jesus Christ, this promise that he has given you, filled with hope that we can cling tightly to and experience the promise of God, relationship with him, and eventually heaven as we walk through that. One, God loves you so much. He sent his son to die for you. He is our true and better exodus. His name is Jesus. He is not dead. He is alive today for you so that you could have new life. Two, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. We don't have a minute to waste, any time to lose. Today is your day. If you need to make that decision, put your hand up right now. Three, if that's you, just raise your hand so we can pray. Anybody else today? All right, wherever you're at, I want you to repeat these words after me. Especially if you were raising your hand wherever you're at, I want you to repeat these words. Like I said, it's not a magic prayer, but it does set you on a journey. It does release you from that captivity and give you freedom to walk with the true and better pillar, his name is Jesus, towards the promise of heaven. Say these words after me, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. And I believe you rose again to give me life. Today, I give you my life. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord and declare in my heart that you have raised Jesus from the dead. I believe. Thank you, Jesus for loving me, in Jesus' name, amen. Just real quick, can we give all those, whether here or on their phones, a hand of applause for making that decision today? Thank you.
And before we close, I've got one more thing. Another group of people I want to address, some of you today may feel like I've escaped that captivity, Jesus has saved me, but I don't feel like I've captured, laid a hold to that promise. I need to get a tighter grip on God's promise for me. Like, you're talking about this relationship. I know God and he saved me and I know that he's paid for my sin, but I don't really know him and I'm not really sure about that. I'm not sure about heaven. I'm not sure that I'm holding tightly to the promise. Or maybe it's this, maybe you feel like God spoke something over your life a long time ago that you still haven't seen come to pass. You feel like God promised you something and he hasn't come through yet. Today, I want us to acknowledge that so that we can get our faith back. So that we can say yes to the promise of God. Here's a story that I want to read to you out of the book of Joshua. If you're following along in our, along in our year-long Bible plan, you just read this this week. We talked earlier about the story of the 12 men going into the promised land. Joshua and Caleb. Now Joshua would take over for Moses and become the leader of God's people and Caleb would be uh, not the leader but a leader amongst God's people as they went into the promised land and because they came back with a good report in that time where they were scouting out the wilderness for 40 days, Caleb did something. He looked at a mountain and he said, I claim that for myself. I claim this mountain and one day I'm gonna come back to pick it up. 40 plus years later is when this story happens in the book of Joshua chapter 14, verse six. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal and Caleb, you know what the Lord had said to Moses, the man at Kadesh Barnea about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord sent me to Kadesh Barnea to explore the land and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made me the hearts, or made the hearts of the Lord's people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. I want to pause right there for just a second. Can you imagine the emotion welling up in Joshua's eyes as he looks at his friend, his friend Caleb, who 45 years ago they stood in the promised land together before it was their own. They stood together and Caleb said, that mountain right there, that mountain is mine. I lay claim to that. And 45 years later, as an old man, 85-year-old Caleb comes to him and says, he recounts this story. He says, Joshua, 45 years ago, we were in that promised land together before it was ours while the rest of the people were in the wilderness. They refused to believe, but you and me, we followed God wholeheartedly and we laid claim to this land. Continuing. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord your God wholeheartedly. Now, then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses. While Israel moved about in the wilderness, so here am I today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out to the battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. I believe for this church, I believe for your family, and I believe for you individually that if you lay claim today to what God is promising you, it might be a long time before you see it. There's still battles yet to fight just as there were for Caleb, but if you can lay claim to it today, you will receive what God has promised you. That is a promise. And maybe some of you are in this place today and you're thinking, I don't know. Let's get our faith back today. 
Let's get our faith back that Jesus so badly wants a personal relationship with you, that he so badly wants you in heaven, that he made a way where there was no way. Let us get our faith back today for our families. When our kids or maybe even our parents have gone astray and decided to walk away from God, but we can cling to the promise that you and your household will be saved. Let's get our faith back for this church, believing that God has a promise for us, that there are people in this community and in Reedsburg and all around the state of Wisconsin that that there is a hope for them, there is a church family for them, that we are building a house for them to be a part of. Can we agree to that? Amen. How every eye closed and every head bowed again, if if, if you are in that place where you say, I don't, I don't know about the promise of God, but I, I, I read that story about Caleb and I today am gonna decide to lay claim to what God has promised me. Whatever it may be, for yourself, your family, for this church, nobody looking around, not even myself, but I pray that you would raise your hand on the count of three for that so that we can together choose to get our faith back. On the count of three, will you just do it with us so that we can pray one, two, three. Will you just raise your hand all across this place if that's you, you need to get your faith back. Yes, Jesus. Thank you for your promise. God, we thank you for these people. We thank you for every person at home, every person in this building that has their hand raised to say, yes, Jesus, I need to get my faith back. I thank you for what you've promised. And today, just as Caleb did in the time where he was scouting the wilderness, we lay claim to the promises that you've given us. God, we pray that you give us strength as we walk through the difficulties, as we walk through the battles that we have yet to face before we actually get hold of that. God, we pray for strength, boldness, and our faith to be strengthened so that we would never have to be caught again hardening our hearts in unbelief. We cling to the promise of God today. Whatever it is for ourselves, our families, friends, or this church, we lay claim to the promise of God in our lives. In Jesus' name, and we all said, amen. Awesome. You can be blessed this week. Stay safe on your drive home. If you would like prayer for anything, whether it's what we just acknowledged about getting your faith back.